You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome to this Oklahoma podcast. Mike and you, your host, back with another episode down in Oklahoma City today with Chairman Barrett of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation. Thank you so much for coming down. Well, thank you for having me. Excited to, uh, to dive into your story. Um, you've been in the position quite a while. I'm sure you've seen a lot of change. Uh, as chairman since 85 and then um, previous term as vice chairman in 73 uh, through 77, and I was the head of an intertribal group that included the citizen Potawatomi for two years after that. And then I was vice chairman of the tribe for while the general manager for the tribe uh, for a couple of years and and ran for chairman in 85. Yeah. And if I have my my research right, eighth generation as well. I I am the eighth generation of the family to to hold tribal office. Yeah. So growing up then, it was very custom and normal for you to have a family member that was involved and you were very involved from a young age. As a child, most of the talk around the breakfast table, uh, and best particularly at my grandparents' place, was was about politics. My grandmother was from one of the largest tribal families and my grandfather was from a very large tribal family. So yeah. uh, it was on my mother's side. And uh, both of them... Uh, uh, were very interested in politics, and and my interest in the language came because the when they didn't want the grandkids to know what they were talking about, they would talk in Potawatomi. So uh, I managed to force myself to learn at least enough to understand what they were yeah. talking about. Yeah, and I mean to that point, you're. Excuse me, your um, your tribal name as well. I w- I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I would butcher it. Kiwaoge. Kiwaoge. Okay. It means he leads them home. Okay. Which, do you ever ask your kind of, you know, uh, dad, mom, grandparents, why they gave you that name? Actually, I wasn't named until I was 40. I didn't really, uh, you know, have, I didn't really think it was important at the, at the time I was involved in so many other projects. And I didn't. I really wasn't involved uh, deeply with the culture other than sure. what I had to do. And um, when when I'd been with it in the tribe for quite some time, I had the good fortune to go up north and and be around uh, the Potawatomi tribes, the other seven Potawatomi tribes, and and they're much more were much more deeply involved in the culture and. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I got up there and got around it, I realized the value of it, and uh, I had the good fortune to be named by a, a man in Prairie Potawatomi, uh, from the Prairie Potawatomi Nation, and uh, he gave me the name and also taught me uh, a lot of the traditions that I had yeah. had not learned. The citizen Potawatomi had been separate since 1867, and uh, we also were the first of the of the tribe to convert to Christianity. The combination of the physical separation and the 
religious conversion kept us away from the Potawatomi traditions, and naming was one of the first ones that that um, people sort of stopped doing. A number of the people, and once we restarted it, we we uh, we had the luxury of being able to restart the clan system and yeah. and restart uh, the naming again. Now we have out of our thirty-eight thousand members, um, I would play. I would imagine at least 10,000 of them have their names. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, the, the, the naming tradition has really come back and, and everyone has, um, has the, in a family, everyone has a member that's learned the tradition. There's a namer almost in, mm-hmm. in every one of the big families. And once you get your name, you can become, you have the ability to give another person their name. Okay. So the old the old tradition of waiting until the oldest member of the family gave you a name. We didn't uh, we didn't have the luxury of doing that because so many of the families were split up. Yeah. Uh, our tribe was one of the um, the tribes that was subjected to the uh, urban relocation program of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and in the 1940s, late 1940s, 1950s, uh, the huge numbers of the tribe were moved uh, to California and Texas and different places. And so our, our, we have a big spread of geography of where uh, uh, the Potawatomi people are. They're in enclaves almost of around two or 3,000. Um, in California, if we were a California tribe, we'd be the largest mm-hmm. California tribe. There are, are yeah. so many of us there. And uh, the, uh, I call them the prune picker Potawatomis in the northern part of the state. Uh, they uh, they haven't uh, increased in numbers as much as the bunch around Bakersfield and Los, Los Angeles uh, Basin. So, but, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so growing up then, you you probably thought that, I mean, because everyone in my family's got some form of involvement, it's going to come around to me at some point. But as a young age, growing up in Shawnee, did you think, oh, my, I want to go do something else. I want to go into business. I want to go drilling. I want to go all field or cow. What was kind of like, you know, childhood kind of, oh, I want to go do this. What was your kind of dream growing up? Well, I did. In fact, I did uh, do that. I, I stayed away from from everything except that what was obligatory. I was one of 26 um, uh, grandchildren. My grandmother had 13 children. And, oh. and um when I was about 24, uh, she decided that I was going to be the next one, and she was uh, f- four foot eleven, and uh, I was scared to death of her. <laughs> she was an amazing woman, very strong woman, yeah. and uh, and I loved her dearly, and would not say no to her. So uh, she decided I was going to be involved in in tribal politics. My uncles. Uh, were involved. Two of my uncles were chairman, and uh, one of my uncles was secretary treasurer. And after they they got older, well, when when it went to the next generation, she got me by the ear and said, "You're you're next." And so there wasn't telling. There was no telling her no. You you pretty well did what what yeah. she asked. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who can relate to that of an older grandmother or a grandfather that, like you said wasn't very tall in, in physical stature, but 
you didn't want to say no to that person because, right. you know, for, for me, my, my grand, my, my dad, he always used to tell stories of, that my nan could throw her slipper around corners because they could <laughs> never get away from it, which we always joked at. You know, she, she was very skilled at throwing, taking her, flip, her slipper off and throwing it at my dad and his brother. Uh, so my, my grandmother was, um, and we were matriarchal um, uh, in the traditional way, we we're matriarchal and uh, she uh, she knew the influence she had in in her family, and she also knew what influence her mother and her grandmother had had on her. And so she was very careful to do that. And she could say more by saying nothing than anyone I ever saw. The silent treatment was what she feared, you know. When you made your excuse and you didn't get a response at all, it was... Uh oh. Yeah. Know. Now you've been left alone with your thoughts of what have I done? How to, and it gets worse. It just it, it spirals then, doesn't it? That's <laughs> you know? right. This is not good for me. Uh, so, so when you do then get involved, um, is it '73 where you become vice chairman? Yes. Right. But also you get involved before then, I assume. Um, just, just uh, you know, just ceremony and yeah. those kinds of things. We. We really didn't do an awful lot before that. Our tribe had um, had, had the leadership had um, had kind of gotten it down to where the only thing that really brought us together was the lawsuit with the government mm-hmm. under the Oklahoma Indian under the um, Indian Claims Commission, not Oklahoma, but Indian Claims Commission uh, lawsuit uh, with the government over the lands that we had lost. We'd been relocated four times. And uh, each time in that relocation, we lost all of the property that, that we'd gotten by treaty with the government. And basically everything we had, except what we could carry and walk to another place three or 400 miles away, or 600. And so the, that, uh, that impact on the tribe, uh, we had really lost our, our, a lot of our sense of, uh, of tribal family togetherness and um, we knew each other I mean everyone uh, around uh, we knew uh, each other and knew of each other but we really didn't have a lot of um, the tribe wasn't the center of um, any kind of traditional social activities and we were down to in fact we were one of the tribes that the Eisenhower administration was going to terminate and because we had an active lawsuit with the government, and it's really not fair to terminate from existence the, a plaintiff in a lawsuit, so that we stayed out of the way of the of the termination era uh, by being involved in that in that Indian Claims Commission lawsuit. Yeah. And so the when I when I first got involved in before 1973, I would go to council meeting. And uh, our government, uh, like the other 31 uh, tribes in the state that did not, that had the, the Oklahoma Indian Welfare Act Constitution, it was really a recipe for failure, that, that old constitutional form was. It, it made the assumption that all of the business of the tribe could be conducted in an annual meeting um, where no one had any authority other than to preside, uh, there were no courts, there were no laws. Uh, everything was done in a sort of a New England style 
uh, meeting where everything everyone votes on a show with a show of hands. Yeah. And uh, it, it became so acrimonious uh, because of the division of within the tribe, the, some old divisions within the tribe. And, uh, Indian tribes have these grudges that your grandfather did something to my grandfather and I'm still carrying the grudge, <laughs> that kind of thing. But I, we would uh, we would have meetings that would last four or five hours and and you couldn't keep a quorum. Yeah. And uh, after, in fact, after I was in office, I remember having to uh, recess meetings and people would get in their cars and go round up their uh, cousins and and uh, relatives and bring them back so we could maintain a quorum to finish the meeting. Uh, we, were, we were a poor and pitiful people at that time. Yeah. And didn't have much going for us. The business committee was then, that was what the tribal government was called, was the business committee, five-member tribe, a five-member business committee. And um, it had all authority in the tribe and literally it could change almost uh, everything. If it could have 50-person quorum, we were an 11,000-member tribe at the time, and those uh, 50 people could decide everything for the 11,000. Well, I had 250 people in my family. Yeah. Uh, so someone would have a 50-person quorum meeting and the next weekend, someone would have another one and reverse all of that, and uh, it was it was the circus run from inside the monkey cage to 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 borrow an H. L. Mencken quote. Uh, but it it was it wasn't government; it was a bad family reunion, and we uh, until we changed that uh, constitutional form and became a government of laws with a willingness to enforce them. Um, we were, we were not capable of operating as a viable government until we changed our constitution. And so I worked for the first five years that I was in office, yeah. traveling around the country, selling the idea of amending our tribal constitution and, uh, and explaining the reason why it was necessary. I learned something interesting in that, those travels that traditionally in Shawnee, when we would, we would meet we would all find rent some room somewhere because all we had was a, uh, for our government was a, an abandoned um, Corps of Engineers job site trailer, old fiber-sided trailer, 12 by, by 30, and um, unair conditioned. And we had we had not we didn't have a telephone until '72, and um, we couldn't meet in there, so we would borrow a room from someone in town who usually didn't let us have it more than once because of the, the, of the acrimony. And uh, we'd have a meeting and uh, everyone from the old, the old grudges had lined up on this side of the table and everyone with the old grudges would line up on the other side of the table, and, I mean, of the room, uh, the table in the middle where the, where the tribal members of the tribal government sat. And then there would, uh, there was a, there is an informal uh, older women's council, I call it, uh, but the older women would would communicate by by hand signals and eye looks about who was competent, and who wasn't, and uh, at any rate, at some point, the older people would get tired of it and leave, and it would descend into uh, chaos. <laughs> 
and it, it, uh, it, it was really, a, really a mess. Yeah. But I, I did learn that after that meeting, that after, you know, we'd meet, start meeting at about one o'clock and about six o'clock and it, it would go, it would go south. And I never could figure out why, because we really didn't have a lot to talk about. We didn't have any money, didn't have any activities, didn't own anything. Um, I mean, our land base was so small then, we really weren't doing any development. But after I started touring the country and bringing Potawatomis together, to talk about the constitutional change, we'd meet in hotel conference rooms and and uh, hotel uh, ballrooms and have a meal, and everyone would talk. Yeah. Well, I found out if you feed Potawatomis, they won't fight with you. So, <laughs> so <laughs> after I was elected chairman, the very first thing we did is we did away with the two two rows of uh, the two groups of chairs in a row and put round tables out there and stacked as many sandwiches as we could find on them and and I never had a crossword at uh, at council uh, yeah uh, if you keep the blood sugar up uh, things things go well <laughs> <laughs> I bet you've got so many great stories from from those days of just you know just days and moments and like you said you know your granddad or your dad said this and this and you know great stories that you can have around a campfire and have a few drinks and, and share right? none, none that should be shared outside of that circle <laughs> of friends right but I'm sure there's some great memories back from that day I think most of uh, most of the people in my tribe who who don't support me uh, it's really because of something my grandfather yeah. was involved in my grandfather was the uh, the U.S. Marshal for then the Bureau of Indian Affairs had marshals and he was the, the tribal police uh, under the working for the agency, my grand my grandmother uh, and grandfather lived on the the BIA agency, and lived on the grounds. And my mother and all of her brothers and sisters grew up at the agency. So we yeah. were intimately familiar with what relationship the tribal members had with the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Yeah. And my grandmother taught at the at the Indian Industrial School uh, across the road. So there was a long history of the piece of land where the tribal government, where the capital of the tribe is now, has been something that I've, uh, I have an intimate relationship with. Greatest place in the world to hunt squirrels, you know, all those pecan <laughs> trees on the golf course. Oh, yeah. And uh, then where all that water was, there were bogs and creeks and yeah. that kind of thing. So it was a good place to go after bullfrogs, too. And, uh, that that piece of land I had a fond childhood memories of. Yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, it's a, it's a great golf course. I enjoy playing down there at least once a year. It's a great time to go down, and you know, it's in great shape. And the golf tournament that we play is always you always get something. You always have a good time. So, um, you know, thankfully one of, one of the vendors, I guess that would, that I think sells you fuel, takes me down there. So. Thanks for that, Matt. Appreciate that invite. <laughs> Nothing better than free golf on a fun golf course. Uh, so this uh, this time, then you really get like I guess kind of hooked into into I want to be involved in this because you know when when I know when a family member comes to you and says you're going to do this, I'm sure there was a little resentment there. Like I'm 24, like I, I kind of want to get him. I want to do my own thing, but something during this time like kind of whets your appetite a little bit and you think I want to take this challenge on because at that time I think if, if this, again if my research is right there was like three acres to the name of the tribe and maybe like 500 something dollars like there wasn't a lot going on like you said you had no right. money no real estate development what is it that gets you like 
I'm going to take this on. I want to do this. Because you could have easily gone and done something else. It, it was the the sense of lost opportunity. I mean, the, watching what the Chicksaws and the Choctaws and the Cherokees and were doing and then realizing that if we were to reform our governmental form, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we had the capability of, of making something out of that. And it was simply a, a, a missed opportunity. We, we had, we're one of the most relocated tribes in, in, in history, and we are the most treated tribe of any Indian tribe in the United States. The most number of treaties we've signed with the government, over 60, and uh, all of those have, were broken. Yeah. And so th- that whole uh, realization that every time we signed an agreement with the government, we ended up worse off. Uh, it, it, it seemed to me that we, uh, it was time that we sort of took control of our own destiny. And, and uh, the, the times were right too. The, 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 the era when I was first involved in, in tribal politics, of course, was the, when the American Indian Movement uh, began initially and when uh, the whole concept of tribal sovereignty uh, within the law was was realized. Mm-hmm. And in the when the Nixon administration passed the um, um, the, the, the first of the uh, acts that reinforced acts of Congress that reinforced tribal sovereignty in 1975, that really was what you know gave us a foundation yeah. uh, where we would start to to realize what our potential was. Yeah, and and from that moment, then you you really you know I mean looking at the stats like to what it has become now since you know say seventy two seventy three to now and then obviously you took office in eighty five you know the the economic impact of of what you've done and what the nation has done is is incredible right like it's and I and I'm sure you know it's not just you right there's a lot more people involved in this but it takes you know it takes a vision and, and a you know a, a small few to change the majority and, and say hey this is this is what we can do and now you know the 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 nation is one of the largest employer right uh, you know we're the largest employer in Pottawatomie County yeah I think once we enfranchised all of our people that was the other the old constitution, you could only vote if you showed up at that at that crazy meeting, and you had to vote in person. Yeah. So, with at that time, with eleven or twelve thousand members, and we had um, we had a blood degree in our constitution, mm-hmm. unlike the Choctaws and Chickasaws and the Cherokees and the Creeks, we had the concept of blood degree and. Blood degree in, in our case was really a joke because our original blood degrees were set by one government employee in a log cabin in Sugar Creek, Kansas yeah. in 1863 at the first uh, census. And as people came through the door, that guy assigned them a blood degree based on his perception of their skin color. Oh, wow. So if you worked inside or you were an elder that didn't get out in the sun a lot, you would get a higher blood degree than your than your parents and yeah. your brothers and sisters. And so it was absolute chaos of this <laughs> concept of blood degree when the next generations came down to where your blood degree wasn't high enough to be enrolled. Yeah. At the time I took office, there were 33,000 blood degree appeals 
at the Bureau of Indian Affairs. There were several full-time employees at the BIA in Washington, D.C., who did nothing but, but citizen Potawatomi blood degree appeals. And the incredible way they resolved it, I mind you, we've been a, a Christian tribe since Jean Nicolette in the, you know, in, in the late 1600s, early 1700s, uh, over, on, over at uh, the, uh, where Green Bay is now. And uh, the, the whole idea that, uh, that, we, that you would assign something by, by whether or not you had an Indian name, that was the resolution that the government came up with. It. There was any document anywhere that had you with a non-Potawatomi language name, you were a half. Well, you can imagine the chaos that created uh, after, especially inside of the fact that it's by the, the, the distribution of revenue from the Indian Claims Commission settlement was yeah. based on, on being a member of the tribe. And so the whole idea of being a Christian tribe and being baptized and given a Christian name was part of, of a huge part of our history. And when we were dealing with each other or other Indians, we used our Indian name. And when we were dealing with the white man, we were using our, our Christian name. It, it was something we did as a, a matter of commerce, which is something the Indian, Potawatomi Indian tribe is, is very concerned about, is commerce. Yeah. And uh, then suddenly the Bureau of Indian Affairs decided that having uh, or going by your non-Indian name would cost you blood degree in your enrollment, and with no, with with absolutely no attention paid to genealogy. <laughs> so uh, it, it was just crazy, and, yeah. and it, it generated another fifteen thousand blood degree appeals. And so uh, we just one of the first things we changed in our constitution was yeah. that to go like the Choctaws and the Chickasaws and the Cherokees, uh, where we go by we enroll by descendancy. Mm -hmm. If you are one of those families that was the victim of having lost everything you had except what you could carry uh, away with you four consecutive times in, yeah. in, in each generation for four generations. Uh, once, once you became one of those families, you were entitled to, to be a member of that tribe by descendancy. Because it, the whole business of being an American Indian under the law is not based on race. It's it's a citizenship. You are a citizen yeah. of a sovereign nation recognized by the United States as a sovereign. Mm -hmm. And you essentially American Indians enrolled American Indians in a federally recognized tribe. Yeah. Uh, they're dual citizens. And it wasn't until people became mindful of the concept of dual citizenship and that it wasn't a matter of, of race or appearance or blood degree or those kinds of things. It was a matter of citizenship uh, that predated the existence of the United States. Uh, that's when it finally hit home to everyone that, that uh, you know, I don't need to avoid going to the powwow because I have red hair or blonde hair or something. Uh, because that citizenship is something that I'm entitled to by descendancy. And that's the hardest thing, I think, for most folks yeah. to... Uh, uh, I've heard the governor say that he's a member of the Cherokee tribe, but he's one, 
195th or something, something of that nature. Yeah. Which really doesn't matter. What he ought to realize is that his citizenship in the Cherokee Nation is an entitlement based on the fact that the Cherokee government was a viable government that made treaties with the United States before the United States existed. So, yeah. Um, so that's that's the that's the thing that has happened historically is that one administration of the federal government will take office and decide that all Indianship had to be based on race yeah. and ignore the concept of citizenship and then the next one would come back and repeal that. And we've had this seesaw of, yeah. of government policy that has been um, something that certainly kept me busy for the <laughs> last 40 years. Yeah. One of the other significant things that happened, and that was pretty early on, was this kind of the saving of First National Bank, right? Sean Ian. We, when we bought First National Bank, it was in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it was a double-wide trailer on a gravel parking lot. That, that, sure. That's, uh, that's not exactly something that built a lot of confidence in, in, uh, in it. And the, the, um, the temporary structure that we were in was not in really good shape. And the bank only had $16 million in assets. Yeah. And uh, when we took it over, we bought the stock from the FDIC. It was in that kind of trouble. Yeah. And, um, and I, I sincerely, to be absolutely frank with you, uh, the first four years, I had some regrets because it was, uh, it, it did not get better. It got worse. And, yeah. Uh, you can imagine elected tribal leadership out at night collecting loans and and uh, out riding with the repo man, that kind of thing. It was it was a messy business. And, yeah. Uh, but we we managed to get through that, and we had we had uh, what what motivated us to get in the banking business was the fact that the gaming was just being legalized. Okay. And we were about to, to be the beneficiaries of a lot of cash flow. And then the federal government was starting to institute the, the different kinds of, um, of self-governance programs where tribes would be allowed to operate those federal programs that affected them yeah. themselves. And so there would be a, a large cash flow from federal uh, program mm -hmm. contracts. And so between the contracts and between the gaming revenue, the since we had very few assets, very little land and, yeah. and very little physical assets, the only thing that we needed to do was to effectively manage that cash flow mm -hmm. and to do that and benefit from it yeah, the most. We felt uh, that doing, doing that by buying a bank was the yeah. way to go at it. Yeah. And that, that bank has since grown from that initial 16 million to, um, I think by this November will be a billion dollar bank in assets. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's come a long way. Yeah, uh, and kind of back to what you said earlier about opportunity. You know, you think that the early on, like there w there was just no one was seeing the opportunity that was there. You know, the bank and and, and then the gaming changing the the you know the laws on the gaming makes a huge opportunity and gives you that cash flow flow to go into gives you the opportunity to okay now how do we do this right how do we go do development how do we build you know the nation and and the people and that's exciting like that must have been a super exciting time for you because you know that you've got this opportunity in front of you you've got this potential cash flow coming in from the gaming side it's kind of like you've opened up the toy store and you're like 
right, what, what, what should we do next? You know, because you've been given, I guess, a new lease on life at that point, right? Well, um, one of the things that I tried to impress on mm-hmm. on the membership of our tribe is that this first wave of, uh, of, of money that was coming in yeah. was seed corn. And you can eat the seed corn and have one last meal, and then you starve after that. Right. And uh, even to the symbolism of the the balconies at our at our gaming establishments have cast iron uh, corn plants built into the balconies to help our folks remember that this this wave of, of revenue and this wave of financial growth is really for future generations. And that if you eat the seed corn, uh, you're not going to have anything in the future. And and in that five years that I traveled around the country, uh, you know, promoting the change in our constitution, one of the things that that I tried to develop more than anything else was the awareness that that we would be wasting an opportunity if we were to per capita payment out these funds and yeah. and little little bitty payments because. With 38,000 tribal members, if you gave everyone in the tribe $1,000, that's $38 million. Well, we're making money, but not like not that. that much not money. that much <laughs> yeah. money. And, and if you wasted the entire amount of, of, your, of your earnings and your savings yeah. in one per capita payment and had nothing, that would be the end mm-hmm. uh, of things. Yeah. Or we'd go back to where we were when we were you know, meeting once a quarter and—, and uh, the first business committee that I served on, um, of the five members of the committee, I was I was the only college graduate. I was the only high school graduate, and I was one of the of the three out of five that could read. Yeah. So we weren't taking advantage of the our best and brightest. We weren't finding those people in the tribe that that had uh, leadership experience and capability and that brought skills to the tribe that we needed. And we didn't have anything to attract them. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really been the, that's been the task of, uh, was to bring in uh, our best and brightest and to help to foster uh, some kind of loyalty to the tribe by virtue of financing their education. We, we, mm-hmm. we spend, 13 to 15 million dollars a year in college scholarships and those people are now coming back or have already come back and are are integral to our government Mm -hmm. and you know now the entire uh, 16 member tribal legislative body uh, every single one of them has at least an undergraduate degree and five have postgraduate degrees every workstation at our tribe uh, you, you have to be computer literate in order to be an employee of the tribe. Yeah. Uh, so we've come a long way by by utilizing our assets to help educate our people and improve. And if you're an older person, to improve your lot in life to where you don't have to have to live in, in horrible conditions and right. don't have decent water and decent air conditioning and, and food to eat and medical services. Uh, those are the things that we owe those older generations. And, uh, and and opportunity is what we owe the younger generation. Yeah. And the, you, I guess what we're trying to be, and use a gaming term, we're trying to be the ace in the hole. We're trying to, 
when someone needs is in need, we need to be able to be the ones that they turn to. Yeah. Well, and it's not just, you know, the 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 economic impact for tribal members, it's non-tribal members as well, right? There's a lot of, you don't just focus, you know, that everyone's getting benefited from this as well, from you growing that and having that big economic impact, whether it's from the grocery store, gaming, Well, anything. absolutely. During that five-year tour of around reestablishing our contact with our people. One of the things that we talked about and we literally voted on it every time we met was the issue of whether or not we would employ non-Indians uh, as well as, as tribal members. And our employment policy is that if we have two qualified people, equally qualified people, and one of them is a Potawatomi, obviously that Potawatomi will get the job. But if the two are not equal and the, and the non-Indian is more qualified uh, or more experienced, mm -hmm. then we'll hire the non-Indian. Yeah. What the people's expectations are of the government is that we are there to return their investment mm -hmm. and to use the gained revenue as the way of delivering services. But yeah. you don't eat the seed corn. You, you keep that nest egg uh, growing yeah. all the time. Yeah. To that point, then going forward, what are you kind of excited to get into? What are you excited to? I mean, the future of you know the opportunity in the business, and and what's what is, you know, the the future seed corns to develop and continue to develop the nation. Like what what's what's you got your eye on at the moment? Well, we are f deep into the construction of. We finished the building, okay. and we are starting to install the equipment in uh, in about three weeks. Uh, high density polyethylene uh, pipe manufacturing plant. Okay. Uh, this plant will make uh, high-density polyethylene pipe, both coiled pipe and in, in uh, set lengths, everywhere from one inch up to 48-inch diameter pipe, big heavy-walled uh, sewer line, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, there's going to be, you know, the, the infrastructure of the United States has really been neglected yeah. over quite a number of years. Shawnee in particular, and Oklahoma in particular, we have an awful lot of, of bad sewer lines, bad water lines. Uh, all of that has to be replaced. And there will be, a, there is a huge demand for HDPE pipe mm -hmm. because it is, it, it has turned out to be the best product uh, yeah. To replace uh, the the old the old pipe and it 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 bears up well and it it, it holds up well it it uh, is easier to um, to install and uh, we have the capability of, of now of manufacturing it uh, we're we're buying some used equipment from other pipe plants but most of it is new equipment a brand new building and we'll be bringing we bringing in experienced people to. Um, to start the plant up and we'll be hiring some of our own people as well. But that on the industrial development side, that and uh, and we we put the railroad bridge back across the South Canadian, the North Canadian River. And uh, we have a, a class three railroad, the CPN railroad that, that serves the industrial park. Yeah. Uh, and so our industrial park is where we're we're putting a, an awful lot of our of our future investment in yeah. that, and and developing housing and developing um, uh, our tribal economies. Uh, unfortunately, most tribal economies they'll pay out two or three hundred million dollars worth of payroll, 
and then that money just leaves the reservation. And so what we're trying to do is get a turn in our economy the way other economies uh, are in communities around the state. We want the dollars that we pay out to vendors and the dollars that we pay out to our employees, we want those dollars to turn in our economy before they leave. So we have a large investment in grocery stores. We have four grocery stores and a wholesale grocery operation. Um, in order that our employees and our tribal members can buy groceries from us and we get tax revenue and, and we get profit from the groceries. And then there are people's entertainment dollars, not just not just gaming, but um, you know we have a bowling center and we have a, 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 a really state-of-the-art indoor gun range. We have uh, sporting clays. We have, a, as you, you've played our golf course, we think we're in the top 10 public courses in the state. Uh -huh. um, we, we have a big arena and we have uh, a, a, quite a large number of, of things that we do to capture people's entertainment dollars. Yeah. And uh, the other is that uh, we also we have an electrical company and a heating and air conditioning company. Uh, we're one of the most uh, innovative tribes in the country. Uh, on ground source heat pump geothermal, all of our all of our elder housing, and almost all of our buildings are cooled and heated by ground source heat pump geothermal, and that was one of the reasons we got into HDPE pipe is because those loops that go down in the ground for geothermal heating and cooling yeah. are HDPE, and we we. Our installations have become so extensive that the price of pipe is right. starting to make a difference. All of our housing that we build uh, has a much, much a huge reduction in in costs of electricity because yeah. they're they're heated and cooled by uh, geothermal. Right. Uh, below 15 feet, the whole state of Oklahoma is 55 degrees. So that's a that's a useful asset. <laughs> that's that such most, a useful asset. Most people right don't now. take advantage of, <laughs> especially right now. Yeah. And uh, all of our buildings and our grocery stores and our bowling centers and our casinos, uh, uh, everything that we build, even housing, uh, they're all heated and cooled with ground source heat pump geothermal equipment. Some of it with big ponds uh, that have exchangers in them. Some of them with ground loops. And then we have whole neighborhoods where we've gone in and horizontally gone down yeah. to 20 feet with our boring machines and board 500 feet and come back up and move over 50 feet and bore again and yeah. lace the entire neighborhood with a common heat sink for all of the heat pumps. Yeah. And uh, we think that's the that's a future for a small community to provide services to its people is to create uh, a common heat sink for heating and air conditioning for the people, and then sell that as a municipal as a municipal service. Yeah, um, we we hope to be a part of that. We we operate the the uh, largest uh, uh, rural water district in Pottawatomie County. We provide water to three fourths of the county in the rural water district. We have three water plants, and. Uh, Water is big business. I mean, it's, yeah. the oil, it's the oil of the future. So. Yeah, definitely. So uh, we're we're heavily involved in in water uh, distribution, and and uh, in treating it. Yeah. The thing about our reservation, which is very small, really, in in 
in the world of Indian reservations. We only go from the North Canadian River, which is halfway down Pottawatomie County, to the South Canadian River, uh, which is about 35 miles, and from the Seminole line to the Indian Meridian. So we're really about 30 by 35 miles is our entire area where we can put land into trust and, and provide services. And in that area, the quality of water, we didn't know this when we bought the reservation for cash, the quality of the water in the southern half of Pottawatomie County, the water's not drinkable. I mean, it has gypsum in it, and it's salt water uh, pollution, and it's simply not drinkable water. And even if it was drinkable, most of the wells that you drill down there are maybe two, three gallons a minute. So there's really not enough water there. So the reason that southern Pottawatomie County has such a low population is because there's there's no water. water, So taking over the water distribution business was something that that we thought was a high priority. If we were ever going to get our people to move back home, we were going to have to get decent drinking water. And so we have uh, invested about $10 million so far in that effort. Yeah, and uh, it's it's really helped. Things things are our population's increasing. People are coming back, and it's improved the quality of life for the people that have stayed. Yeah, I mean it's it's really cool to have that. It's really cool to grow up there, to live there, and to see the difference, and and over the time have that impact. Uh, one of the other things you guys have the Volume Festival too, right? Yes, we do. That's coming up, isn't it? Uh, sure. It is coming up. It's yeah. uh, it's it's early August. Mm-hmm. Um, we started the Balloon Festival just a few years ago yeah. uh, because we, we had a request from one of our tribal members that is a balloon pilot, and, and uh, I had a balloon, and the five families there in Shawnee, we went together and, and owned a balloon and yeah. flew it for quite a number of years. And so I've always been interested in in uh, lighter-than-air aviation. You're and, not scared and, of heights then. <laughs> oh, no. No, no I've... I've you know, I grew up in the oil field, and I, yeah. I worked Derrickson on drilling rigs for uh, from the time I was 16 yeah. uh, on for quite some time before I, I well, and even after I went to, uh, got back from college, I worked uh, on and off on drilling rigs. That was really how I grew up, was around the drilling sure. business, and that's sort of how I, uh, my whole life before that time, I had been accustomed to the having my father and, and myself working seven days a week. Uh, it, that, that doesn't seem uh, uh, out of um, out of sync for me. So if right. seven day weeks didn't bother me. That kind of helped in, in coming along. Yeah, uh, yeah. Most of the businesses that we operate are 24 hour a day, seven day a week businesses yeah. because it, it, um, it seems to, it seems to me there's an off, I mean, the spare time and, and uh, leisure time is is a great thing if you have the wherewithal to do it. Yeah. But if you're coming along and growing, you need all the every hours of every day. Yeah. Um, the the balloon fest is uh, something that's an awful lot of fun. We are moving it over to an area with a lot more room. We where we started on the, where the RV park is. It just simply wasn't big enough after yeah. after we got to 16 balloons. It just wasn't large enough. So we we moved over to a, a larger area over past where our ball fields are. Yeah. And we'll be able to accommodate in that area. We'll be able to accommodate 60 or 70 balloons if we ever get to that size. 
Now, if you've ever been to Albuquerque and seen the International Balloon I Festival, have, I and, would love to and see 800 balloons go up at one time. It, it's a stunning yeah. uh, thing to watch. It's just beautiful. Uh, so the that and and balloons at night when the when the heaters go off and light them up from inside, it's a uh, it's exciting. Yeah. That's great that, that you have that personal connection to it as well. I would never have guessed. Or I mean, there's probably a lot of people that don't know that, right? <laughs> that you know that you like to fly, like to fly those and, and you had, you know, in, in, in the family. Well, the balloon originally belonged to St. Gregory's University and it was contributed yeah. to them. And it sat in their basement for five years because no one could fly it. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, my wife uh, and my father-in-law, who was the fixed-based operator of the airport in Shawnee, and uh, my wife was a flight instructor. Yeah. And uh, so we put together a group of people that were interested in flying, and Brilliant. and we contributed in and, and bought the balloon yeah. and uh, started to fly it. And um, my father-in-law was the first person in town to get his lighter-than-air rating, and so it, it went from there. Yeah. And we flew the balloon until basically the balloon wore out. It, it was uh, it was not a very contemporary design because it was old when they contributed it to St. Gregory's and then it sat for exactly. five or six years. So it wasn't really one of the one of the newer ones. It was difficult to fly. Yeah. And so it it finally um, went the way of all the old balloons. And it's, but. Now, what's interesting is that now there are six people in Shawnee that own balloons okay. that are active in, in flying. Yeah. So it, it, uh, it's become, I mean, we, we kind of let it get away, you know, we got away from it for a number of years. And then the opportunity came back to, because we had the space and we had the wherewithal to uh, take advantage of, of, uh, of that part, that time of the year, to do something at night that brought people in, yeah, to get them out of the heat, and we have the space to do it, and and a place to sell them something to eat and something to drink, and and uh, a place to play good music and right. turn it into a festival. Yeah, it's uh, for people listening. It's August twelfth and thirteenth, uh, coming up very soon. Um, so that, that's I, I'm gonna if I'm if I'm in town for that I have to make it down because I've only seen photos uh, and it looks fantastic. You'll have to take a ride. Uh, <laughs> easy small steps. Now <laughs> I hate heights uh, and landing. I get nervous of. So, but maybe uh, if you if you invite me to go, I, then obviously I would well, not say no. Consider that uh, an invitation. I'm gonna have to make sure I'm in town for sure. But that would be amazing. That seems like just kind of one of the the ways that you kind of get away from it all. And, and that is flying balloons your release uh, I'm, well of course at my, at my age I don't fly much anymore yeah. uh, not to say that I'm I'm particularly old but I am particularly old <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, they say with age comes wisdom but every once in a while age shows up by itself you know yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't fly much I'll, I'll go up for a stationary uh, ride yeah. but I'm uh, in Oklahoma, you, most places where ballooning is um, very popular, they don't have average winds of over five miles an hour. <laughs> right. In Oklahoma, this is, the, this is the windiest state in the United States. And uh, you have to learn how to land and drag here yeah. because the, by the time you dump the, uh, the air out of the balloon, the balloon will have drugged city block. Yeah. And uh, if you're in the brush, that's kind of rough. <laughs> So I uh, I haven't been doing a lot of flying. Uh, 
lately. My agility has uh, has been a limiting factor, let's say. Yeah, that's just trying to land and being, you know, I mean, obviously you don't go up on super windy days, but obviously the average windy day in Oklahoma is more than five mile an hour. So it's inevitable yeah. that you're going to have to be yeah. dragged for a little bit. Right? It's interesting when the wind dies off in Oklahoma and it gets really still, it scares people. <laughs> Something's wrong. Something, Something's this coming. is not right. <laughs> That's very true. Uh, well, finishing up then, that one of the things that, that I, I, I'm personally kind of fascinated in and, and just love the fact that for you this is a generational thing you know you can look back down your family history and see the people who have involved been involved and see the impacts that they've made i'm sure there's times that you just kind of sit quiet have a coffee and think you know like when i'm gone people are going to look back at me and think i've made a real impact here and the people that you've helped you know, and like I said earlier, I don't get the sense that it's about me, me, me. I, I look at me, look at what I've done. But it's the people around you that you've had that have made this impact over the 40 years you've been involved. What comes to mind? Like, what makes you? What, what does that make you feel like when I say that? Does it make you feel uncomfortable? Like, don't rather than want to talk about myself? Or does I mean, because it's been it's a massive impact over 40 years of, of you being involved. Well, you know, it's. It, it, uh Talking about oneself is kind of difficult. Uh, the, you hope that um, that the direction that you've taken the drive in, and I had a, I have had some wonderful people helping mm-hmm. uh, me. I mean, the, for me to claim that all this was my doing is is uh, not true at all. Uh, some some wonderful help and Vice Chairman Linda Caps, who's been the Vice Chairman since 1989. She did a little. She was a government contracts expert when she took the job, and and um, she has been a huge help. I mean, most of the entrepreneurial kinds of things that we do, uh, I've been involved in, but on the government contract growth side, she's been instrumental in making mm-hmm. that happen. She's a real expert. Yeah. And uh, that, that has been a, a tremendous help. Our, our Secretary Treasurer, D. Wayne Trousdale, is a hugely successful businessman, and uh, he's a trustee at the University of Oklahoma, and has, uh, has his master's degree in, in business. Uh, Mrs. Capps has her master's degree as well, and an honorary doctorate both of them have. Uh, get, getting educated people to dedicate themselves for a long period of time uh, that has been something I've been so fortunate. It's been a, an absolute treasure. It's the first 11 years that that uh, Mrs. Capps and I were in office. The tribe couldn't afford to pay us. Yeah. So we worked for free for that period of time. And it, luckily, both of us had uh, outside income that, yeah. that could keep us, keep us afloat. But those were, um, those were pretty tough, pretty tough times. You know, you, you, uh, especially traveling around the country and being an elected tribal leader, especially if you involve yourselves in, you know, if all of us were involved ourselves in the many intertribal kinds of organizations where uh, tribes form groups to try to help each other, mm-hmm. each other have, make progress. And if those tribes that are more fortunate usually have memberships in, in organizations that you have to travel to. And, yeah. and I, for at least 20 years, uh, uh, D. Wayne Trousdale and Linda Capps and I were gone uh, 
20 weekends a year. Uh, so it's it, it's been kind of hard on the families, but sure. but it, it is something that um, when you see other tribes pull themselves out of it the way we were able to yeah. pull ourselves out of it, it's, it's very gratifying. Yeah. And, and also, uh, you end up uh, with a friend and an ally, and, and uh, you know, there are now nine tribes that own banks, and uh, we're able to participate loans with each other, and we're able to cooperate in, in, in different kinds of, of activities. Yeah. And the, ge and the ge geographical spread of, of communities that you serve, our tribe um, serves uh, all the way down almost to the Texas line in southwestern Oklahoma. Uh, you know, we have a, a good cover of, of geography, and we have the good fortune that two other families in our tribe, uh, the, the, the Pauls Valley National and uh, Farmers and Merchants Bank, those two families, that the Anderson family and the Grimmett family, they have been in the banking business for over 100 years in those two Potawatomi families. And they're very successful and almost the same size that we are. Yeah. They sit on our board. And uh, when we have a loan that's larger than we can make, then we participated out to two other Potawatomi mm -hmm. family-owned banks, and we have a larger lending capability than yeah. we would normally have. And that's really helped our progress. It's been a, a huge, yeah. huge factor. Yeah, having a resource like that, right, it really helps to have two families really involved that, that come with the exact specific need that you guys have. And, well, you know, and, 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 and more experience right. in banking than we have. And yeah. we, we were novices in the banking business, and we hadn't been able to fall back on the experience of other Potawatomis in the banking business. We'd, yeah. we'd been in trouble. Right, no doubt. Uh, finishing up, is there a ninth generation coming? Do you have family involved as well, or, or have they waited, are they waiting patiently? <laughs> for you to say, hey, this is your time now. Uh, when is he going to go? <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> um, I think one of my sons is interested. I know yeah. my grandson is. Um, and Mrs. Capps uh, has some, uh, all, of, all of her sons and grandsons are college graduates, and they're yeah. all developing uh, experiences in business, uh, businesses of their own. Um you know, you, you really don't want to start off in tribal right. things. You, you you go off and get experience in, in, in other things and then bring that experience back to, yeah. to help the tribe. We also have a program where we search out our best and brightest 20 mm -hmm. of our best and brightest each year around the United States of our 38,000 members that have, you know, uh, uh, pay average and, and uh, that are at least sophomores in college. Mm -hmm. And uh, we bring them in and they live at the tribe for mm -hmm. uh, seven weeks out of, out of every year. And we rotate them through every department of the tribe. They're called the PLPs, Potawatomi okay. Leadership. Um, and uh, that group of people are, they're of the age, you know, we've been doing this for 20 years, sure. so the early ones are back in, yeah. involved in tribal government now. So we have a group of, of leaders that are being cultivated to, uh, to come up through the tribe that will, after they've established themselves in their own careers, then yeah. when they get ready, then we can offer them 
some additional opportunity and yeah. a little bit of challenge. And Amazing. Back to reinvesting, right? Just kind of making it full circle and going out and prolonging the, you know, the significance and the history and 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 the the nation in general, regardless if it's just people or business. You know, you've got to you've got to focus on that. Otherwise, you know, it it, it, it might not be here anymore. Yeah, you know, it, it ends with really you gone. if you don't prepare for that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Chairman. It's been an absolute pleasure to well, chat, thank sit, you. chat this to you has for been an hour. Fun. Yeah. So much fun. I. Uh, I will let you know if I'm going to be in town August 11th, August 12th and 13th. If I am, then I'm going to have to come and see you down there. Well, if, if not, just watch the balloon then go over and play around to golf. Uh, that would be, yeah. I think the golf tournament, I believe, is in September. So I'll be down there for sure in the next few months. But for people listening, I'll post a link to the, the Fire, Fire Lake Balloon Festival in the description. You go check that out. Uh, it's August 12th and 13th. And also put a link to the Potawatomi uh, Nation's in, uh, social media stuff and all of their website stuff you can go check that out not just for balloons but it's plenty else plenty else potawatomi.org alright and the Potawatomi is spelled a little differently than the county it's spelled the right way <laughs> <laughs> people listening will know that difference uh, but yeah thank you so much for coming down for people listening uh, we'll see you next episode cheers thank you this podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927 Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.